I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a head start. Um, flip open to 1 Peter. Um, we're going to look at 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 1 to kind of start off here. But before we get into that, um, we're going to look at mission and vision in kind of three parts this morning. And I'm going to be kind of turning around because I don't have presenter notes, which I made over there. So we're looking at it in terms of the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, and then the vision of sanctuary. And so the, the way that we want to go about it, when we talk about mission and vision, um, mission is what, what God has called us to do, what, he, what he's telling us to do, what he's told us to do in scripture. And then the vision is like, how are we going to do it? So the purpose and mission are kind of like one in the same there together, but you'll see they're not one in the same. Uh, so there's the, the mission, what has God told us to do? And then the vision, how are we going to do it? Or how are we currently going to do it? Or, or what are we asking the Lord to do in our church? Um, and some of the things we'll talk about are things that we are already practicing. And some of the things that we'll talk about are you know, things we want to see done in order to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. Um, before we get started... Um, I want to also kind of define a couple terms. Before we, get, um, before we get into it, when we're talking about the church here, we're talking about uh, the mission of the church, the purpose of the church. We're talking about the global church, God's people, everyone who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We're not just talking about like the people who are here this morning or, you know, the people who are here in our church in Berkeley. Until we kind of get into... I'll try to make the, the differentiation, but until we kind of get into the vision of sanctuary, we're talking that things that are applying to everybody in general. Um, the, the other thing I kind of wanted to define here is we're talking about the mission, not missions. It's a singular mission that we're all on. We are not talking about missions in terms of, you know, a, uh, a short kind of trip that we kind of tend to equate missions with you go to uh, you know, a far-off land to be a missionary and go and, um, and you know, assimilate into that culture and try to, to learn that. In a sense, we're talking about that, but we're talking about a singular mission that the entire church is on together. And so we want to look at the mission and vision of the church this morning, but before we can get into that, we want to understand the purpose of the church so that we would understand the mission of the church. You have to understand your identity. Before we can, we can do anything, before we can come along in the mission, we want to understand first, who are we? Like, what is, what is the point? You know, I was thinking about this, and, and if you don't know who you are, if you don't have your identity set straight from the beginning, it, your mission can often get confusing, and you might end up you know, going in the wrong direction or, or joining the wrong team. I was thinking about this as the NFL draft was on uh, on uh, the last couple of days. And uh, after the draft, there's always, a, you know, a bunch of people who didn't get drafted. And they're, they're undrafted free agents. And what happens is after that, it's just basically like a free-for-all. You can, you can call whoever you want and try to sign them to your team. Um, and there was some debate over one, one person on Twitter about, like, they were arguing over, like, you know, they're like, uh, he went to the Kansas City Chiefs, and someone's like, no, he's a Miami Dolphin, and they were, like, going back and forth, and it was unclear for a period of about an hour about what team actually signed him, and he is like, I don't really know what's going on. My agent is dealing with it. He had no clue, but his identity is going to be central to, like, where, what plane is he going to get on, and what city is he going to go to? It, can you imagine if he is like, 
I'm playing for one of these teams, and they show up at the football field, and it's the Dolphins versus the Chiefs, and he's like, I'm on one of them, but I don't know which side I'm going to go to. And so he can't really, he can't really strategize and figure out how he's going to accomplish the mission of winning that game until he figures out, first off, what team is he on? Who, who, is, who is his support? Who is giving him the orders? And so it's essential for us here to understand before we even get into this, before we even get into the mission of what we're doing, um, who we are. And so he starts off, we look here, starting off first, at the purpose of the church. We start off in 1 Peter 2. And, and Peter here, he gives us uh, our purpose and identity. It says in 1 Peter 2, the church is, is likened in this passage here to living stones built up into a spiritual house. First Peter 2, 4 through 5, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So that's speaking of Jesus. You yourselves, verse 5, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter here, he gives us our, our purpose. We're, we're these living stones. We're being built up into the spiritual house. But what, he, what does he say? He says, we're there to offer spiritual sacrifices. The, the purpose is that we are primarily a people for worship. It, it's, it's key that we understand this. Our purpose is a people who are, are geared toward worship. It's how we are created. Now, there's, when you talk about mission and stuff and, and what we're supposed to do in the church, we kind of get to it, and I'll talk about it a little bit about it later, but, but just think about this for a second. You kind of think mission, like, oh, we're supposed to tell people about Jesus because we want people to, to like, you know, be in heaven and not go to hell. We, we want people to have a relationship with God, but, and, and that's totally true. But you can see that there's a priority there, that we're primarily a people of worship because when you actually get into heaven, we see in the New Testament, when you see the scenes of heaven, there, everybody there is already, uh, you know, believing in God. They're already, there's no one to evangelize in heaven, but worship continues. Evangelism will, will end because one day we will see Jesus face to face and we'll be with him, but then at that point, worship will continue. And we're not just talking about here worship in this idea, uh, the spiritual sacrifices. We're not just talking about, you know, singing songs. It's this life that is dedicated to him. Peter, Peter uh, he equates this to it being an identity that is built around God. Look at 1 Peter 1. He says here that our identity is that we're redeemed by God, loved by God, and we belong to him. And in turn, Peter tells us, is that it's going to cause uh, cause us to give God glory and have joy in Jesus. First Peter 1, 3 through 9, he's, he says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness uh, of your faith, more precious than gold, uh, that perishes 
through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Peter here, he's telling us our identity as as believers is built in Christ. He says, we're born again to an inheritance. We're not just, we're not just a, a random group of people. We, are, we have an inheritance. That means we are part of the family of God, the household of God. That's what an inheritance is all about. You are given something because of your relation to someone else. And so because we have this relationship with Jesus, we have this rich inheritance. Peter tells us that our purpose is rooted in the identity of uh, and our, our purpose is rooted in our identity as people who are redeemed by God. And, and, that's, and, th- and that's what he's trying to communicate to us. He says in verse 6, In this you rejoice. Our joy, what, what we are, are most satisfied in, is that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrected Christ. And he uses a bunch of different language, you know, a bunch of different ways and, and a lot of types of different language to communicate that. He says, God has caused us to be born again. And then in verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice, knowing that you have, are a member of the family of God. And then he goes on in verse 7, that when, when Jesus Christ is revealed, you know, that results in praise and glory and honor. That it, it glorifies God. And then I love verse 8, because he just kind of communicates there in a very simple way to encourage them that, like, you guys are doing a good job. You're loving Jesus even though you don't see him. Because in our case, that's often, you know, the case where, like, I, I feel like I love Jesus, but, like, I've never seen him. And, and, and Peter communicates that. He says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. You know, it's evident within you. Though you do not, you know, uh, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice. So what he's talking about there is identity. And, and we see that because he's connecting the word with see, uh, not seeing Jesus, but loving Jesus and believing in Jesus and rejoicing. Okay, that word passes over real quick for us because we don't use it a lot in our vocabulary in, in our modern day. We don't ever say like rejoice. But he's speaking of this satisfaction. It's, he's, these people are enjoying Jesus. They're, they're so pleased and satisfied in him because of who he is. They're, they're rooted in Jesus. Their identity belongs to him. And they know, Peter's telling us here, who they're worshiping. And that's a huge thing. That, that's what we're going to come back to, and that's what the purpose of the church is all about. Because we're created as worshipers, because we're created in God's image, we can only worship rightly when we know who we're worshiping, right? We need that identity. We can't just come with confusion. We need to be rooted in, in our identity as worshipers of Christ. Because we're created as worshipers. Every single person is what the Bible tells us. Everyone is worshiping something, whether they're very knowledgeable and purposeful and intentional in that or not. Everyone is worshiping something, someone, you know, investment, career, and the, the, the sacrifices that you make, the way that you spend your money, the way that you live your life reveals 
what you're worshiping, what you've built your life around, where your identity is. And, that, and that's really what um, Peter's trying to communicate to us here. And so it's important for us to understand, to know who we are worshiping. And Jesus speaks of this in the first, in the, um, Jesus speaks of this to uh, the disciples in, and to a scribe also in the great commandment. And, it, and this is kind of like a huge point for understanding our identity. In Mark 12, a scribe comes up to him and hears the disciples disputing and uh, the disciples aren't disputing, the Pharisees are disputing. And uh, verse 29, uh, or excuse me, verse 28, the scribe asks him, which commandment is the most important? What's the most important commandment? Now, we know um, from what Jesus is ultimately drawing on here is the commandments that were given from God to Moses. The first, the very first commandment is the very most important commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus talks about it this way. He says, the most important, and this is a part of their, uh, part of it from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it's this, this idea that there's only one God, only one true God, and he is one. You shall have no other gods before me. And then in verse 30, and how we should interact with him. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So Jesus here explains, when this, the scribe asks, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing that we need to, to know? And he responds back to him, he says, the greatest commandment is that you put no other God, you know, there's no other gods before the one true God, and that you you have a relationship with him in the sense that you love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. What he's saying there essentially is that it's our entirety. Jesus isn't saying, you know, you can love God with, with you know, your heart, but I don't really care about what you actually go out and do with your actions. He, he's calling us into a greater identity that's found in him. He doesn't, he does not giving us the option to only love him in one way, but he says, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. It's the entirety of a person. Jesus is saying your identity needs to be so wrapped up into God that your identity is built upon loving God. And then he talks about um, loving your neighbor. We'll get into that a little bit later. But essentially, I'll give you um, what he's saying is that your love for God, and when, when you find your identity in God, you will be able to rightly love your neighbor because God will, God's love will be in you in a way that you will be able to correctly do that. And so Jesus is saying this has to be our purpose as individuals in the church and as the church as a whole that our greatest purpose is finding our identity in God. And what Peter says there in, uh, in our purpose there, our greatest purpose and identity is to proclaim uh, or to offer spiritual sacrifices, to worship. That's essentially giving glory to God. And that's what, um, that's what the Westminster Catechism, if you've ever kind of read through that real quickly, um, it's a, it's a real short kind of like curriculum answering basic qu questions about 
you know, Christianity and doctrine. The Westminster Catechism deals with it this way. When it talks about what is the purpose of man, what is the chief end of man? And it says the man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's who you are. That's what every single person was created for, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You'll find um, comments on that in Romans 11, verse 36, and Philippians 4, 4. And so around here, I don't, you may have noticed, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty repetitive. I do a lot of things like in repetition and some knowingly and some unknowingly. But around here, we use the phrase, the glory of God, a lot. Like we're always kind of talking about that, you know, we, we want to give God glory. We want to do things for God's glory. We're, we're praying that the Lord would send more churches here for his glory. And, and what we're essentially doing there is connecting our mission to God's glory. We're trying to root who we are in God's glory. Now, A couple years back, um, I don't know, maybe it was like 2009 or so, someone, someone kind of was, a, there was a person who kind of triggered this in me, and I didn't really realize what, what was happening at the time, but <clears throat> I was going to a conference with a, with a bunch of friends, and we picked up, we picked up a couple people from um, another church on the way, and, you know, we're kind of just talking about you know, how are things going, and, and what are you guys doing in your church? And their church was just getting started, and our church was established for quite some time. We're just kind of talking, and, and I was talking with one of, you know, the, uh, the like, interns at the other church, and, and just telling them, you know, yeah, we have, like, this, this fun men's fellowship where, we're like, we barbecue, and, you know, but it just seems like nobody does anything, and we're, I'm just, like, sitting there, like, running around with like the other kind of leaders and we're just like spread so thin we got all these guys and you know they're not considerate of each other and it's just kind of like typical kind of like guy stuff that you expect in the world to happen and I'm just kind of sitting here thinking like he's going to sympathize and be like oh that's tough or whatever but he kind of just stopped me and because I was talking about it and I was like and it just works out to where like everyone just leaves everything and I have to end up like washing all these dishes while like they're all just hanging out and like I can't actually like help them with the things that they're asking them to be help for. And he kind of just stopped me and um it, and he didn't really address any of the stuff, but it, it stuck with me and it was like the most kind of simple, gentle rebuke. But he's like, Well, why don't you just wash dishes for the glory of God? And it was just like like all of a sudden I was like why don't I do that? Like, why don't I just see that, like, I'm serving the Lord here in this, and, like, I don't set my purpose, but my ultimate purpose is God's glory. And, and from then on, it was just kind of this thing where the Lord had developed in me, like, things that, like, his glory become, becoming greater than my desire to do what I want, or to prioritize things in the way that I want, or to make decisions based upon you know, really the, the logical flow of things. Sometimes the Lord leads into like a real logical flow, step by step. This makes sense in the world, and that's where I'm leading. But other times, you know, being not afraid to, to make God's glory my ultimate desire. You know, and I'd heard, you know, things like that 
the Westminster Catechism's like first point for like forever. It, it wasn't new. But it was just taking someone to say, and they didn't, it was funny because he didn't even address it or be like, oh, you shouldn't complain about that. He just said, just do that for the glory of God. And it was just a, a sticking point moment in my mind that, that changed a lot of stuff in me. And so what, what, when we use that phrase around here a lot, we talk about that a lot, what we're doing is we're, we're using it as a reminder that the things that we're doing are here for God's glory. We're here for a purpose that is not our own. We meet here in a school, in the SDA building. You know, we meet in these places. We meet whether there's a, you know, all of a sudden everybody happens to be in town or whether no one's in town because it's not about how I feel or how you guys feel, but about what we're doing to be faithful to give God glory in our city. And so we talk about that a lot in, in how we serve and love one another. We want to do it for God's glory. And when we use that phrase, personally for me, it reminds me that I can't just start making excuses and think, well, that's not convenient for me. Because there's not really anything ever convenient about doing things for others or serving others. But it reminds me when I use that phrase, it's for the glory of God. We're going to love and serve each other for God's glory, not for ours. It reminds me just to to kick back against that, that old selfish nature to want to do things when they're convenient for me or when they're best for me. It, it, it causes me to engage with the Lord and ask him to empower me and enable me to do the things that he's calling me to do. And so that's what, um, what we desire to see happen um, through our purpose uh, as the church of God. Now, where are we at? I don't know where we're at up there. All right. Um, the other thing is, First Peter 2.9, uh, let me start there. But your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're all about his glory. We're all about giving God glory as, as our purpose. But then we're also to be proclaimers of that. When you know something so glorious, something so amazing, you want to herald that. You want to proclaim that. And so that's the second part of our identity. We are proclaimers. We are herald, heralding the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, what he has done, his worth, his majesty. That's what we want to communicate um, as a people that have our purpose and identity rooted in him. And so we want to see people, you know, as a church, we want to see people worship Jesus. That's why we're here. We, we've come here to plant a church so that other people will come in and they'll know Jesus and we'll, we'll you know, live in community together and see more people meet Jesus. And so that's essentially what we're kind of getting to when we talk about the mission of the church. So the mission of the church now is, you know, we know who we are. Now, what has God called us to do? We're, we're his people. We have our identity in him. We're about worshiping him. So what has he called us to do? The church as a whole. Well, it started with the Great Commission. He, he has this mission for us. It's a singular mission that's to the whole church, and he speaks of it 
in Matthew 28. He says in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So that's the mission. That's what, what we are to go and do, what he's called the entire church to do. So we're his people, we're a worshiping people, and he's called us to this. We'll break it down into kind of two sections. The first section, go. Go, therefore, is kind of the first section. The first thing we got to know is that we are a sent people, okay? We're a sent people. We're not just like a bunch of random people who are like, oh, we think we'll go and do this. We are, we are sent. It's a commission is what we have. So we'll look at it in kind of three points. We're sent as Jesus was sent. We're sent as ambassadors. And we're sent on a co-mission. So we're sent as Jesus was sent. This is important because it defines, you know, a part of our mission. We have identity in God. We're his people. We're worshipers. But the reason that we're his people is because he sent the son to us. So the God that we serve is a missionary God. He is on mission. The, the reason that, that we are a sent people is because Jesus was sent and we're disciples of Jesus. Jesus was sent by the Father in, mission, in the mission of God to rescue us. John 17, 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me. Jesus is praying to the Father in the high priestly prayer. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So the reason that we're a sent people is because Jesus was sent, and we belong to Jesus. And the mission of the church to make disciples, to go, is modeled on the mission of Christ. Jesus says in, in John 17, just uh, a little bit later in that prayer, he says, Of us, as you sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. So the Father sends the Son, and then the Son, in John 17, uh, verse 18, sends us sends his people. Later in John 20, 21, Jesus will say again, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So he's telling them, you're going to go. I am sending you. We are a sent people because Jesus was sent. And, and we are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent. Jesus modeled what it looks like for us to be a part of God's mission. He made a way for us to understand what this looks like, okay? Uh, Jesus' mission was incarnational. We talk about this in, you know, Philippians 2, um, about how Jesus is, is God, and then he, he uh, put aside his, you know, uh, not his, his deity, but he put aside his rights, and he, he came in, in sinful flesh. Jesus comes to earth, and he's fully God, and fully man. Jesus's identity was double. It was Jesus comes and he's completely holy and he's secular because he's in our world. And so he has this, this double identity. Jesus was both perfectly in the world, but not of the world. He's completely God and he's here, but not 
giving in to the temptation of the world, living sinlessly in the world. And so Jesus's mission, the way that he modeled his mission, was in this double identity, this incarnational sort of way. And this is the same way that the church is to be a part of God's mission. The church is called out of the world because we belong to God. We go to God to be made holy and pure. We're, we go to God to be changed and transformed. But then, in ter- and then, and then, in turn, when we spend time with God, we understand his mission, what he's doing. We understand his purposes. We are rooted in the gospel. And then what God tells us, because we understand the gospel, then he sends us back out into the world to be in the world, but not of the world. We're sent back into the world to witness and to serve. And we have to create relationships with those people who don't know Jesus. Just as Jesus did, he went out into the world, he built relationships with, with people all, of all different you know, cultures and, and backgrounds, you know, races and, and uh, you know, financial situations. It, he went to everybody. And so in the same way, we need to engage with people in God's mission in being sent that way. We're called to go into the world to connect with people understand why they don't understand the gospel or why they haven't heard the gospel and communicate it correctly to them. We want to show the love of God. We want to demonstrate the gospel to them. We are coming to the Father to to be recharged, to be cleansed, and then Jesus sends us back out to show how good God is to people. And so we have to go out to, in the same way that Jesus was sent, to a hurting, lost, broken world and, and I was thinking about this. I know for me, when I think about a hurting, lost, and broken world, we tend to just go with the most visible representation of that, right? But there's a lot of people who are hurting, lost, and broken that don't look that way. They're, you know, they kind of have this facade like they got it all together. They're trying to be strong they don't need help, that sort of stuff. And the Lord was kind of just showing me that this week as I was kind of praying about this and being sent and what does it look like to love people, the hurting, lost, and broken? It doesn't necessarily just look like the person who has the most obvious physical need or the person who, you know, you can see like there's a great manifestation of like sin that exists in in their lifestyle. But there are people who are hurting, lost, and broken that aren't speaking up, that are, that are kind of pushed aside. And when we came to plant the church here, the kind of the Lord was, the Lord was kind of like showing me, not necessarily that specifically, but about going to the lost. And not necessarily just the lost that don't know him, but he was kind of just showing me about the forgotten. Because when I kind of came down here to think about planting the church and I would come down every Tuesday and walk the streets and go into the gourmet ghetto and talk to some people at coffee shops and be like, so what's the deal like around here? Like what, you know, like, do you go to church? Is there like, what do you think about church? What do you think about, you know, the neighborhood that you live in? Do you feel comfortable at night? Like just asking random questions, trying to gauge the culture. It, what I kind of got overwhelmingly from people was that if you're a student here, then like, then the focus is there. But if you've lived here, you know, for more than 10, or 10 years or more, if you're just like a regular person who's living in this area, 
like you're forgotten. You're a forgotten person. Like you exist as a taxpayer. You exist in those sorts of things. But the churches that are here are not for, you know, they're geared towards the, the campus. They're geared towards students coming in and, you know, they're all tr- as close as possible to campus. And um, they're geared towards like events and doing things for that. And there's some, you know, that, but that was kind of the overwhelming data that I had heard from people. And so the Lord was kind of just really showing me like, you know, like be available to people who just live here, just like regular people and open your doors and try to build relationships and show the love of God. And, you know, let me do the work. It, you know, and so that's kind of what, what, how we want to engage people, um, what, what we're wanting the Lord to do in here. We want to go to the lost, the broken, the forgotten, um, and, and to be led by the Holy Spirit, because we don't know what they look like. Sometimes it's like an obvious sort of thing, but a lot of times, you know, it could be the people who are like right under your nose that need help. That, that need the gospel in, you know, such a dire way. And so we want to be open to that. John Stott, in his book, The Living Church, calls this idea of this, this incarnational model, the double identity of the church. We are, we are called out of the world and holy, and then we are sent back into the world on mission. We have that same identity as Christ, that double identity of the church here. And so God's mission calls us, uh, to himself in worship, where we find our identity, and then send us back out. Second thing, we're sent as ambassadors. This means the mission and the message are not ours. We don't get to change them. We don't get to make them up. It's not our, you know, we, we don't get to do whatever we want with it. The mission and the message belong to Jesus. The mission of God calls us, then, into greater intimacy with God, where we worship him, because we can't know the mission apart from knowing, you know, him who gives the mission. We can't know what we're supposed to go and do unless we spend time with the Lord who tells us, here's what we're going to go do. Here's what you should go to. So it belongs to us, and we have to follow, we have to spend time with Jesus and then follow him into mission. And so the things that are important to him become the things that are important to us. We, we go out in his authority, we do his work, we speak his words, we communicate his heart to people. We're giving an example of who Jesus is, not who we are. And Jesus has given us this commission. It's, it's essentially a marching order. It's not a suggestion. This isn't the great like suggestion, like you should probably do this. This is a commission. This is a call to every, every single person in the church. And he does it with authority. Right before he gives this commission in Matthew 28, uh, verse 19, right before he tells us, go therefore, he says in 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's speaking with authority. He's saying, this comes from me. I'm not just making this up. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples. And so because this is an authoritative commission, no one's exempt from it. Which means, in turn, that either we are obedient and succeeding in the mission of God, or we're failing in it. There's not a middle ground like, oh, I just haven't started yet. 
you are either joining Jesus in mission or you're failing in mission. And so we want to join Jesus in mission, and that reminds us, you know, we want to be a part of his mission, but that reminds us is that we can't do it alone because it's his mission. So the mission, it's a co-mission. It's a commission, so there's co-mission. It's not mission, we're not doing things for God, we're doing things with God. We're not just going out and being like, oh, I'm going to do all these great things with you, Lord. He doesn't want us to do great things you know, for him. We want to do things with him. We want to join him in what he's already doing. We want to come alongside in what he's doing, and he's going to kind of let us join him in that so that we will be blessed and have relationship with him. It's like lately I've been trying to trim up my hedges on the, um, you know, on outside, not my hedges, my, my like little parkway thing on the side but by the street. We don't have a lawnmower, but we just have a really big weed whacker. And so I just, I, it takes forever. And I have like some grass allergies, so I can only do a little bit at a time. Um, so it's really awkward, but I'll be out there and Elliot's like, you know, one week after picking him up and hanging out with him for a little bit, came back home and I was like, I'm going to go out and do, I'm going to go out and use the weed whacker for a little bit. He's like, okay, I want to come too. And I knew that it was going to slow me down, but I let him come alongside and I let him join me. And I told him like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to, to do this. And so I showed him a little bit how to do it. And then I put him under, like, can you hold that thing? Can you pick it up and balance it? He's like, I can't, I can't hold it, but I can pull the trigger. I'm like, okay, I'll pull the weight and you just guide it. And so it was, it was interesting to see how that, that, that's what God does with us. You know, I, I, I held the weight and God does the most of the work. He prepares the soil and does the work here. And then he kind of just lets us come through and makes it feel like we're doing something. He could do it himself if he wanted to. But God allows us to join him on mission. And so it's a privilege, not a burden, to join Jesus in mission. The second thing, uh, second part of Jesus' commission is that we're to go, we're sent people, but then we're to make disciples. So here we want to note that we're making disciples of Jesus, not of yourself. We don't need more of you. We need more people acting like Jesus, not acting like you or me. So we're making disciples of of Jesus. We want to disciple people to Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons, you know, as a church, why we teach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We want it to be plainly obvious that you're going to get the entire book. You're going to get all the words of Jesus. And then when you go home and you want to do a Bible study yourself, you're like, oh, I don't have the right software. I don't have the right tools. You can go through it and look at it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's designed, and, and we've designed our church to be reproducible. Anything that we do, we want you to be able to go out and do it on your own and not be like, well, I don't know how to do that or I can't do that. And we want you to be able to take the tools that you're equipped with here, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, to go out and do it. And so that's what discipling is about here. It's not just about either making disciples to walk more closely with Jesus. It's, it's what Jesus did. Okay, so when we talk about discipleship, it's, it's creating um, an opportunity for people to, to see the pattern of your life. But how Jesus did it is the best way and how we should do it. Jesus did this uh, in that he called fishermen to follow him. Now, I don't suggest you go call a bunch of fishermen to follow you unless the Lord's calling you to 
you know, unless you know some fishermen. But what Jesus did is that he called a bunch of fishermen to leave their nets behind and follow him. Jesus is calling these guys into a relationship with them. He's calling them into a life-on-life apprenticeship to spend time with them. And in spending time with Jesus, they would learn what it means to be a disciple. Jesus didn't say, like, okay, well, here's what it means to be a disciple now, and you need to act this way, and here's how you respond, and, you know, if this happens, you should do this. It was just they followed Jesus around, they saw how he did things, and then when it came their turn, they're like, I only know how to do it one way, the way that I saw Jesus do it. And so I'm going to do it that way. And so that only comes about, though, through time. Okay? In our culture, especially in our city, time is a massive resource. And so if you want to join Jesus on mission to make disciples, it's going to cost you time. If we're going to be obedient to do this, it's going to cost you time. That doesn't mean, you know, that you shouldn't be faithful with the things that God has called you to as well, but there are going to be times when you're going to need to make sacrifices in order to join Jesus in mission here. This isn't, when we're talking about making disciples, we're not just talking about a change of mindset, only where it's like, oh, like I I wasn't doing that before, and now I'm going to start thinking about it in a different way. We're talking about a change of lifestyle. Like I was living in this way, and now I'm going to like rearrange my life and prioritize it in the way that I'm going to be most faithful to make disciples, to go on mission with Jesus, to help people meet Jesus, to worship God. It's, it's a complete, it's not just like this small change. It's a massive change in how we prioritize everything in our lives. And, and it's something that Jesus did. And so he is our model. It's not easy. It's really hard. But it's something that he calls us to. And so in order to do this, in order to accomplish it, we have to count the cost. You know, it's going to take sacrifice of our time, our energy, our emotions. We're going to have to engage with others in this way. And, it's, and, and I think it would be wise of us as we kind of consider it, because it's easy to fall into a place of, at least for me, it's easy for me to fall into a place of like thinking like, well, I don't know if I have any more time, or I don't know if like I can, like my schedule's pretty crazy already, or, you know, just thinking through like all the reasons why I can't, or the reasons why things would be difficult. It's easy to fall into a place of condemnation about it. Like, I'm already stretched pretty thin. I already feel like I'm failing in this. And so I think it's important as we consider the the mission and what God's calling us to to make disciples that we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in us the things that that are hindering God's mission from going forward in our lives. Because no doubt there's probably some things. I don't know anybody that's doing like mission and making disciples perfectly. So there probably are some things that we could do better. But we want to have the Holy Spirit reveal them to us, not fall into our own condemnation. Because I know that's really easy. It's, it's super easy just to start feeling bad about, you know, about yourself. And so here's what he's told us to do. To make disciples in this life-on-life sort of way, to prioritize people. Then he's told us to baptize them 
That's an outward confession of an inward change through a water baptism of what he's speaking of. And then to teach them to grow in faith and unity with the body of Christ. He's not just talking about like sitting down and teaching like in a Bible study, but like let them see your life. Let them see what you do and let them learn. Teach them by showing them what you do and that they might imitate your life. Now, the point here is not to just have a bunch of disciples who are going to be like really nice moral people and make a better society. Not the point. That's not why we're making disciples. And it's not about developing like a community of friends for yourself. And, and if you're doing, if you're making disciples for those reasons, you're going to end up just getting frustrated and, you know, you're going to get off a mission. <clears throat> but the reason that we're making disciples is for the glory of God. Our purpose is God's glory. The reason we make disciples is for the glory of God. Secondly, we make disciples because we're made in the image of God. And, and when you've become a disciple, when you see that you've been redeemed and reconciled to God, when you've been saved, when, when the Lord has worked in your heart and changed you and transformed you, when, when you understand that Jesus has saved you, you want to see other people experience that. You want to see other people meet Jesus. And so primarily it's for the glory of God, but also it's because we want to see other people experience that same joy and enjoy Jesus in that way that we do. And so the thing that we want to understand is that the goal of mission is not making disciples. The goal of mission is the glory of God. It's the number one thing you got to understand. The glory of God is the goal of mission. Now, it's true that we are called into the world as a force of good. We are to demonstrate the love of God. We are to, to you know, live out acts of mercy in society and community. And so that that we, we would demonstrate God's attributes and character in society. It's true that we should help the poor and the, you know, those who, uh, you know, are on the fringes. It's true. Those, those things are all true. And there's a ton of wrongs in the world to be righted. Like, you know, you can look at the news any day of the week. <clears throat> but the reason that those things exist, the reason that those injustices, the, the evil that you see in the world exists is because people aren't obeying the great commandment. The reason that those things are happening is because people don't love God. And so we want to bring people into a place where they do love God. People have turned from worshiping the creator God into worshiping creation. They're worshiping the things around them. They're worshiping their own desires themselves. That's what it tells us in Romans 1.25. Now, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he states this, mission exists because worship does not. That's the whole point. And he's right. Mission exists because worship does not. The whole point of it is because, the whole point of mission is to get people into a relationship with Jesus so that they will worship him. That way they will give God glory. If the chief goal of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then that means we have to be all about God's glory. And wherever God is not being worshipped, and it's evident in our city and then in the East Bay, 
and in the Bay Area at large, that God is not, anywhere that worship isn't happening, we want to see mission to those areas. And so we want to join in what Jesus is doing here in the city, (coughs) in our city, in the East Bay. And so we are coming alongside him to do that. And that is the primary reason for us coming here, for us being here this morning, for us planting a church here. Now, when, when we talk about the Great Commission, it's true that we can talk very specifically about when someone says, what's the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to go and make disciples. But the end goal of the disciple is to create a worshiper. And so you'll hear it in conversation um, about people talking about the mission of the church and, you know, the Great Commission. The mission is, in fact, to make the disciples. But all disciples who are correctly made end in the glory of God. They end in the worship of God. And so our disciples that we make have to be made back into that purpose and identity. We, we have an end goal that we're trying to disciple people to. So <clears throat> that comes to part three, vision for sanctuary. How are we going to be obedient to the purpose and mission of the church? So first off, and this will go like a little bit quicker because uh, it's something I think we also need to spend some more time praying into and seeing what the Lord wants to do. But first off, if you're here this morning, you're a part of the mission of God. Just by being here this morning, by being in a church that's talking about the mission of God, in, in being in a church plant that's starting here, that our ultimate purpose is not our glory. It's not to you know, fill a room with people, but to fill a room with worshipers. You're joining in in the worship of God, in the mission of God. And, and, and so it's, it's something to be uh, encouraged about. Last week, after spending time with Nate, you know, and on Fridays at the prayer meeting, I've been kind of talking or asking for like, you know, in the time when we're talking about prayer, asking for like prayer for like outreach ideas and maybe what the Lord's going to do in the future and how we're going to, you know, how we can be more involved and, and asking for wisdom. And so last week after church, I was talking to Nate when we were uh, headed off. I don't know where we headed. We were in the car, I think. And, and I was like, so let me ask you, uh, what do you what do you think? Like you know, kind of seeing where we're at, seeing our people. Like, do you guys have any like kind of standard like good ideas for outreach? You know, like we have we have people. We don't have money, so we can't like join in, um, you know, an area of like serving with money. But we can serve with people. We have people. We can go do stuff. And uh, and so he was he was kind of just talking with me about it, but the. The primary thing that he wanted to encourage us in and uh, let us know is that our effort here is an outreach effort. You know, I mean, I just, I knew it, but I didn't think about it. Like, our faithfulness to show up every week, it's good to be reminded in words and just have someone tell you, like, what you're doing every week is an outreach because people don't know Jesus here. And you're meeting and, you know, equipping the saints for the work of ministry so we can go out and live regular lives and let our light so shine before men that people will glorify God. So... You know, and, and so it was just like really good and encouraging to be like, to hear him kind of share, you know, like you guys are already an outreach itself, like your people meeting in your church is an outreach because of the mission and, and what you're doing. And so um, we know that 
the purpose and the mission of the church, as we kind of talked about this morning, um, but for our church, uh, and kind of praying about it, I feel like the Lord has kind of given me a little bit more of a specific um, direction. And so the, I think in praying about this, I, I probably started this sermon or like preparation for this probably like over from scratch, like five different times. It was like, write it out. It's like, no, that's like not it. Like this is so academic and not, you know, useful or practical. And then just prayed about it and started over again. And it just kind of kept happening. And, and I thought in the terms of it, <clears throat> what was going to happen were, was I was going to kind of come to the end and I was like asking the Lord, like, you know, Lord, what is like the specific like, what do you want to do real specifically with us? Like, give me, like, your mind-blowing ideas about wh- how you're going to create these crazy outreach opportunities for us to go and, and you know, do these things that no one's ever done for, like, our specific church. And just kind of praying through, like, all the stuff and wanting to, wanting to figure out what God's doing. And I just felt like in the process, the Lord kind of called me back to the purpose the, the verses, the, he gave me two verses very specifically, and surprisingly, we hadn't really talked about them, you know, throughout the year very much, but he gave me two verses that were kind of like our, our key verses, our cornerstone verses about what we want to see done here, what we want to see happen. And, and so the vision of the church for us, the Lord was telling me, like, really, I want you guys just to take the idea of mission seriously, just get that out of the way first. You know, I want to do stuff to you, but until you guys are, are living in a way relationally where you're equipped to go out and handle what I'm going to give you, just live and take this idea of mission seriously. Don't just, you know, agree and think, that's a great idea. It sounds nice. But the Lord really kind of stopped me in my tracks when he was you know, talking to me about the idea that the mission, it's an authoritative mission, and we're either doing it or we're not. There's no, like, you know, because for some of it, it's like, well, you know, we're going to get there eventually, or we'll do this. It's, and the Lord's telling me, like, no, do it, or you're failing in it. And so I feel like that's one of the things that the Lord's calling us to, to, to pray into taking the mission and joining him and prioritizing our life around what he's doing more seriously. And like I was saying, it's one of those things where the Holy Spirit is going to really need to give individually you guys direction about what's hindering you from keeping the mission of God going forward and what you know what you need to keep in your priorities. And I, and I think the thing that I love about our church is that relationally we're small to the point to where we can speak into each other's lives and I'm encouraged just in the way that, like, I know each of you guys, like, love each other, and relationally the way that, that we get along and pray for each other and, and things like that. And so I'm excited to see how the Lord grows this together, so that way our DNA as a church on mission can go to the point to where when other people join, they're not just joining each and every person in the church is encouraging them and calling them into the mission of Christ to help people meet Jesus for God's glory. That's what we want to see done. 
I do want to tell you guys about those two verses. And the two verses for the church, they bring me tremendous comfort, they bring me tremendous focus, and they bring me amazing simplicity. Because there's a tendency when you're kind of starting things from an entrepreneur, you know, pioneering type perspective where, you know, all the business books, are, here's what you got to do and here's what you got to do and if that doesn't work, then here's your variables that you got to change. But the way that church planting works is that the church belongs to God and he has to do the work and you just show up when he says show up. And so while we can be faithful to demonstrate the love of God, you know, some of the things, like, we want to be faithful to him first. And so, let me give you the verses. The first verse is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Um, it's this. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I felt like the Lord was speaking that to me when, when we were first coming to plant the church, because it was like, I like showed up, I, you know, spent a year showing up, coming down here every week, meeting with random people. And it's just like, where do I even start? Like, what is the Lord doing? Like, there's so, like, the culture here is so diverse and broad. How... And what are, what's going on? And the Lord said, start with Jesus. And I was like, that's a great place to start. You know, that's where we should always start. And he, he used this, too, in a very specific way when he said the foundation. Not just, you know, Jesus, but the foundation. You can't, you can try another way, but no other foundation can you lay? No one can do it. You can't do it better than that, but lay that which is Jesus. And so the way that we've gone about things here is very uh, gospel-centric. It's around the person and work of Jesus. All of our activity, all of our communication, the way that we go through scripture, it's all about trying to see Jesus sing about Jesus, worship Jesus. And so that's the first verse. The second one is John 12, 32. I think it's 12, 32. I might have had a typo when I typed it in. Um, John 12, 32. And this was also another one that the Lord kind of just gave me at the same time. I was like, okay, well, so we lay a foundation. Then what do we do? <laughs> the second thing he, he's telling me was, and I, this is Jesus speaking, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So the second, second verse is lift Jesus up. Make Jesus famous in the city, raise up his name, preach his name, and he's going to draw all the people. You can't do the work, so it gives tremendous comfort in that, like, I can't do anything. I can't lay a better foundation than laying one with Jesus. It gives me the focus. I got to start with Jesus. And it's all about Jesus, lifting Jesus up. So it brings that simplicity. So those are, these are our two key verses as a church, which I'm going to put on the website because I don't know why we've never like done any of this stuff. Um, 
John 12, 32. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. This is what we're talking about in the glory of God. We're here, we're going to lay a foundation of Jesus, we're going to glory in what he's done, and then we're going to worship Jesus and raise him up and talk about Jesus. Because when we do that, when we're, when we're, when we're infected with the joy of Jesus together, when we are enjoying Jesus together, when we are, are content in living together as a community for God's glory, that's going to spill over into our other communities. And people are going to take notice. And so we want to be faithful to these, these two verses. They bring tremendous comfort, tremendous focus, and just great simplicity to what we're doing. We want to lay a foundation of Jesus and enjoy Jesus together, and we want to worship Jesus together. Um, and then lastly, I want to end up here talking quickly about our values. And our values are, are built off of the, the points of mission that we talked about, the purpose and mission. It's, it's the idea, there's three that we're going to talk about. The first one is that we love God. The second one is that we love our neighbor. And the third one is we're a missional church. We're on mission. <coughs> so there's three that we go with. I'm going to break them down with you for, in smaller real quick. So they're built off of the, the great commandment and the great commission that we talked about. The first one, love God, gospel-centered. Here's what it means. We are disciples of Jesus, changed by the gospel for the glory of God. This is a part of our identity as a church, sanctuary, our church. And it should be worldwide, but this is specifically what we want to understand together. We are disciples of Jesus. We're changed by the gospel for the glory of God. This has to do with the idea that we're, the first idea that we talked about today, the purpose of the church. We are redeemed by Jesus. We belong to Jesus because of what he has done. We're changed by the gospel, and it's for his glory. And so we love God. That's our first value. We're gospel-centered. We're, we're, it's around that. Now, practically, here's what that looks like in our church. It works out. Um, this happens within corporate worship. Um, and what I mean by that is not just like worship leaders, but when we're gathered together to lift up the name of Christ, we're loving God together. We're enjoying Jesus together. Um, secondly, it happens in a commitment to a devotional life. Individually, when we love God, when we're growing in the Lord together, when we take time to prioritize God and make him our greatest desire, we fall in the category of being gospel-centered, loving God, making him our ultimate desire. Um, thirdly, prayer, cultivating a prayer life. And then something that we want to see done in the future, and, and, and it, it's kind of a moving target because we're trying to figure out everyone's schedules still and like the seasons of life and the rhythms of life together with, uh, you know, traveling and holidays and school and things like that. But we want to see a corporate prayer night developed or a corporate prayer time developed uh, where we can come together and we can pray and we can and together as a church and spend time asking the Lord what he wants to do. In the future, and I'm, and I'm just kind of going to give you a couple points for the future. In the future, here's what I'd love to see happen. There's the, the corporate kind of prayer night develop. I'd love to see a night of prayer for the nations where we can kind of come together and look 
and, and just kind of learn like a 10 minute, like here's what's going on in like India and here's how we can pray for them. And we're just going to spend half hour praying for them. Or here's what's going on in these different countries. Learn about, you know, the churches and come together in prayer over those nations and, and a bunch of different things um, in that sort of category. Secondly, um, Oh, and then this also happens within the climate of teaching and preaching, both on Sunday morning and then in serving one another throughout, um, throughout the week and, and through your devotional, or not devotional, in, in community groups. Uh, secondly, the second value is loving your neighbor. So the first one, love God, gospel center. The second one, love your neighbor. Now, when I'm talking about neighbor here, we're talking about people within the church and people outside of the church because loving God splits off to both. We love, but I couldn't make a graphic that made it to where they all equaled out in each other. So, one, two, and three. I tried to put them in priority. Um, loving your neighbor. This is community. We're disciples together, a part of the body of Christ. We are called by Christ to love and serve one another. This is both people who are in the church and outside of the church because at one point the disciples aren't walking with Jesus, and he, he started discipling them three years before they even knew who he was. And so the type of relationships that we're building and discipling others isn't just with Christians and helping them grow in the Lord, but also people outside of the church. So this works out practically within community groups. Um, we love and serve one another, speaking the gospel to one another. Hebrews 10.24 tells us within... within uh, this relationship community. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is part of our task in loving each other, loving our neighbor within the context of community. Uh, uh, third thing, caring for believers' spiritual health. That means when we're going through seasons, when we need encouragement, when someone is trying to process a decision or needs wisdom, we want to use the gifts that God has given us to love and serve one another. Uh, the fourth thing, this, uh, what do I write down here? Organically serving one, serving one another. Okay, what that means. <clears throat> this is our church body serving one another outside of a scheduled activity that is like scheduled by me, basically. That means if one of you guys needs help moving, you live out loving your neighbor and community by calling the people in your church and being like, hey, I'm going to move. Or, hey, I'm going to go and get frozen yogurt here and I want you to come hang out with me. It's an organic sort of way in that we love each other by spending time with each other, um, by serving one another, you know, giving someone a ride to the DMV is a way that you can, you know, love and serve someone um, in that sense. So we want to see those sorts of things happening. And then acts of mercy in a relational secular community. So you have your church community, and then you have a secular community that you are also um, a part of. Uh, and, and I'm talking relational, like this is maybe friends from work, friends you grew up with, people who aren't believers, where you are demonstrating the love of God in acts of mercy and serving people who don't know Jesus, people that you know personally, that you have a relationship with, 
and getting out of your comfort zone to, to do that. Um, last one, missional church. <clears throat> so this means as a church, we are on mission with Jesus to make disciples for his glory. Uh, as we love God, this is all flowing out of that love of God. As we love God, we will love others. This includes unbelievers. Lost people are important to Jesus because he came to die for them. Because people are important to Jesus, every member of his church is to be a part of the mission of God to help more people meet Jesus. So simply, that's what we, um, one of our values as a church as well. So this works out in terms of acts of mercy um, in a relational or at-large secular community. So that means as a church, we will love and serve people within a relational community. So that would mean, for instance, um, say there's a fundraiser at one of the kids' schools. Our church, we would want to go and love and serve on that church if they need volunteers, even though the majority of the people in the community don't have, or in our church, don't have a relationship with them. Some people do, and we can bless them and serve them uh, in that aspect. And then at large secular community, that just means like events we have no connection to at all. You know, there's like a citywide cleanup day that maybe we could participate in. We can, you know, get involved in something like that, that nobody has a particular tie to, but we feel called by God to go and serve in that uh, aspect. So both in relational and at large events. Uh, we want to disciple unbelievers to Christ is number two which we kind of talked about that. It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, integrating your community group with your secular relational community. Okay, so that means like things that we did at Christmas. You guys come to the Christmas party? Was everybody at the Christmas party? Okay, at the Christmas party, it was basically like our church, and then we just invited like whatever friends outside of that weren't believers, people from school, work, like whoever could pack into our tiny house we just said, come on down and just let those two worlds intentionally meld together. We didn't have like a church Christmas party and then like, you know, a Christmas party for people who don't know Jesus. We just had one Christmas party and said, you guys should all hang out together and create relationships and let the Lord work and do whatever he's going to do. It was great. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And so things like that, we want to have more opportunities and activities for um, things like that to go down. Um, number four, praying for the lost is an important aspect of being a missional church, praying for people we know who need Jesus, and we want to see, him, see them meet Jesus. And then lastly, praying for church planting, which we're a church plant. We want to see other churches planted here. Let me just end on this. We're about God's glory. We're about his mission. And so we want more churches to be planted in the Bay Area, in East Bay, because that means more soldiers on the ground to help people meet Jesus. And so we can't be, um, although we want to be faithful with what we have, we don't want to be territorial in, a, in any way. If other churches are coming to the area, we want to pray for them that the Lord would bless them so people would meet Jesus. Because we're not the end. God's glory is the end. And so it's important to kind of build that sort of thing into our mindset now because as, as we grow as a church in unity, as we grow as a church um, in size, it'll be one of those things where I'm sure Satan will kind of have the temptation to, to create division there. 
to, to bring that when, you know, when those things sort of occur. We want to understand what God's doing, and we want to encourage uh, people in those, you know, encourage the work of the Lord in the area, because we want people to know Jesus and to worship him. And so those are kind of the, the three quick points that we talked about, uh, or that are our values. Love God, love your neighbor, and mission. And they all flow out of a desire for worship in the glory of God. <clears throat> and so let's end there. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to work within us. Sorry, it was like a little bit long. I don't, probably really long today. Um, but let's pray, and we'll wrap up. We'll do one song and then jam. Lord, we're thankful for um, an opportunity just to look at what you're doing and just the idea of your mission. Lord, and because it's your mission, we need your help to understand it, to live it out, so we can talk about it in theory and talk about what we think it is, but we need your Holy Spirit to empower us to do it, to give us the desire to be obedient to it, to not be apathetic to it. So, Lord, help us. We need you so desperately. We desire your glory, and we want people to meet you and to know you, to rejoice in you. And so we pray that you would have your way um, within us. We love you. Amen. Amen. So we have like a, a smidgen of time, I guess. So maybe we'll do like one or two songs, and then we'll jet. We have to be out at 1230.